Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is a show that champions entrepreneurs, startups, early stage, and small businesses everywhere, and we're heard around the world. And we want to thank you for making us the number one business show on the planet for entrepreneurs. So if you're an entrepreneur, this show is your window to the world. If you've got something to say, this is the place to say it. Drop me an email at bob at bobpritchard.com, and we will do absolutely everything we can to accommodate your request. You know, if you want information on a particular aspect of business, let me know. Ask me the questions. Or whether you have a particular guest you might like to have on the program, we will do everything we can to try and get that person for you. So I usually start off each show with a little segment called Bob's Thought for the Day. Sayings that are simple and really get us to think. The theme of today's show is pretty much about sales and how, by paying attention to detail, we can all become great salespeople, not just good, great. Today, I've started off with three, but now I've got four. I got, a, um, I got one in an email about five minutes ago, which I love, and I, I'm going to include it. The first one is an old one, but one that has never been so true. It says, if you're not taking care of your customer, your comp- your competition will. So if you're not taking care of your customer, your competition's going to and you're going to lose business. The second saying is about changing the paradigm from you needing them to them needing you. It makes all the difference in achieving a sale. I constantly say this to people who come to me when they're seeking investment. I say to them, you know, when you walk in to see an investor, he has all the aces. You don't have any. You're there and there's 5,000 others like you wanting their money. You need to change that paradigm so he's so interested in you that the guy with the money wants you, not the other way around. So... This saying is, the key is not to call the decision maker. The key is to have the decision maker call you. And that's critical if you want to close a sale. The third saying today is one that I've expressed here very often as well. To succeed in sales, simply talk to lots of people every day. And you know, the good thing about that is there's billions of people. You're never going to run out of targets. You know, you just have to keep knocking. And then the one that came in a few minutes ago, which I absolutely love, and I think this is really true too. And this is from Albert Einstein. This is a classic. Everyone has ability. But if you judge a fish by the way it climbs a tree you'll always think it's stupid. I love that. That's great. I'll bring you some more words of wisdom next week. (laughs) 
So if you're anything like me, you get about 400 emails a day, most of which are crap. Even so, you know, I still have about 100 emails left that could be important. Often I don't have time to read them all, so I skim through the subject lines and I read those that seem to be the most interesting. Does that sound like you? I'm sure you do exactly the same thing. Well, let me give you seven great tips that will ensure that your emails get read. The first tip is to create a subject line that will ensure that you at least get opened. You need to remember that only about 20%, maybe up to 40% of your emails will ever actually be opened, despite the fact that your subject line will almost certainly have been seen. So in order to greatly increase the chance of your email being opened, you need to think of really short, catchy, you know, informative subject lines. You've got to try and entice people in with compelling information, such as the definitive key to closing your next pitch. You can even try adding some mystery, such as, you'll never guess what happened. You'll also increase your opening rate with personalised subject lines, such as, Bob Pritchard suggests that I call you. <laughs> that might work. Then again... The second key is to get your email open. It's about the tone that you use in your emails. You need to portray yourself as someone that other people can easily and readily connect to. Show your recipients that you care about hearing back from them. So you must not simply sound like you send them another mass email or you try to sell them something. For this reason, never use dear sir or madam, it is so bloody impersonal. And try to say, you know, a little bit informal. Don't use really formal language. The third key to getting your emails opened is to make them short, simple, and make them easy to quickly digest. You know, the people that you're emailing to are probably like you. They're really busy with lots of time pressures as well. So you need to quickly get to the point and maintain their interest. Make sure you do your research and find out what resonates with your prospects. See if you can get an introduction to them or, you know, if that's not possible, figure out in more detail what they or their company do and how do you help them. A Skype call is always good because you put a face to a name and, you know, you develop a rapport through doing that. But tell them why you're emailing them and describe how you can solve a problem for them. The fourth key is the one rule that applies to every kind of selling. Make sure your email finishes, concludes, like any sales call, with a definitive, clear call to action. You need to make it absolutely as simple as possible for them to say, yes, I'll have a meeting, or yes, I'll call you, or yes, come and give me a product demonstration, or whatever it is that you're seeking. Don't ask them for permission. If you want a phone call, ask them to call you this afternoon. That always works. You know, in comedy, they say that timing is everything. I reckon it's not much different in sales. 
So the fifth key is to reach out to your leads when they're not too busy. Make sure you avoid the busy times like Monday mornings, for example, when people have meetings and stuff. Now, my experience shows that the middle of the week's best and late in the morning, middle of the week, the best time to send emails. How often have you been told that first impression is important both in person and online? The tone and formatting of your email is all your recipients have to judge you on. That's all they can judge you on. So the sixth key is to make sure you're being professional, clear, and that you're really easy to understand. Stay away from over-formatted emails that look gimmicky, and but make sure that the most important stuff jumps out so they can get it. I've often quoted my favourite Abraham Lincoln saying on this program, and that is... If you have eight hours to cut down a tree, then spend six hours sharpening the axe. Too few of us spend enough time doing our homework before we attend a client meeting or before we send an email. So put yourself in the recipient's shoes. If you were them, would you want to open this email? Would you spend more than two seconds reading it or would you just delete it? And if you did open it, what would you do next? So I'm sure a number of you are saying, well, big deal. I already know all this stuff. Okay, well, do yourself a favour. Go back and look at your last 10 emails that you sent out and read them to see if you followed all of these seven tips. I'll make you a bet right now, and I'm not a betting person really, that you didn't. Now, as you probably know, there are 2 million apps on this mark in the market at the moment. And there's another 2,000 plus being released every single day, and there's millions more in the pipeline. How'd you like to have a wristwatch that tells you when the phone calls, texts, and emails arrive, and who they're from? Just imagine, no more frantically trying to fish your phone out of your pocket or empty out your purse to find it. With, you know, the watch will tell you who's, who's calling. Who's text you? And you can look at the watch and find out. The new $150 digital wristwatch called Pebble connects to your smartphone or tablet and displays notification and preview of calls, texts and emails. In addition, the Pebble can control music playback and show you at a glance the song that's playing, the name of the artist, the album, etc. It's great. And guess what? <laughs> It even tells the time. It comes with a multiple software watch faces and you can upload more. And the Pebble is a platform that can work with a lot of other apps. And the, the, the company's planning to roll out options that display information for runners and golfers and all sorts of other people later this year. I reckon that sounds like a pretty cool gadget that I wouldn't mind. <laughs> Last week, we talked about the brilliant tweet by Oreo Cookies when the power went out at the stadium during Super Bowl and the missed opportunity by Poland Springwater during that Marco Rubio response to the President's State of the Union address. That was the only moment of the speech that anybody remembers. It's the only bit that made any sense. It was a perfect opportunity for Poland Springwater to really reach and connect 
with the huge audience. Well, I found yet another classic. But this time, instead of not sending out a tweet, the company did send out a tweet. But, oops, Tesco obviously doesn't check its tweets before sending them out each night when their stores close. On the day that horse meat was found in its frozen dinners, Tesco sent out the following tweet when its stores closed at midnight. It's sleep time. Time to hit the hay. See you at 8 a.m. in the morning. Hmm. Horse meat scandal. Time to hit the hay. <laughs> Probably a very bad choice of words. Okay, last one. Australia's sellitonline.com said it would donate money to the huge bushfire crisis in Australia, but only, only if you like its Facebook page. Their promotion said, depending on how many of your friends you get to join sellingonline.com, we will decide how much we will donate. How about that for bad taste? God, Facebook fans went ballistic. They don't like charity being used in such a blatant way, and I don't either. Huge damage to the brand, and deservedly so. Don't forget, this program's all about you, the entrepreneur or small business that's listening to the show and looking for tips on how to be more successful. That is what we are here for. This whole show is dedicated to assisting entrepreneurs. So if you have a question, email me, bob at bobpritchard.com. Jeff Hazlett will be with us in just a moment. You're listening to the number one radio show in the world for entrepreneurs, the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Business Radio Show. This is where we try to give you an insight into the lives of some of the world's extraordinary people. What makes them tick? You know, most of the extraordinary people that I know began life in pretty ordinary circumstances, just like most of us. But what makes them interesting, unusual and great? Well, this is the segment where we find out. 
A few weeks ago at Metal, I've mentioned it many times, it's the media, entertainment and technology alpha leaders group that I belong to in Los Angeles, I was fortunate to hear a dynamic and an extremely pragmatic business speaker who absolutely wowed an audience of people who are all incredibly successful and have heard everything and been everywhere before, and he killed them. Um, Jeffrey Hazlett is a global business expert. He's highly creative, and he's got a unique ability to cut through the bullshit, and he's worked with some of the world's biggest companies. He's a celebrated author. His first book, The Mirror Test, now that's a must-read for everybody. And I've just finished reading his second book, Running the Gauntlet. Now, this is a, a book about many aspects of business, but the most powerful thing for me was the need for all of us to embrace change. Knowing what you need to do, having a clear vision of, of what you want to achieve, and then having the intestinal fortitude and the perseverance to see it through. Now, Jeff believes that fear, apathy, and a lack of personal responsibility turns a good company into a dead company. Now, I think this was evidenced when, as Chief Marketing Officer and Vice President of the Eastman Kodak Company, he tried to convince the company to change. They didn't, or wouldn't, or couldn't, and they failed. This guy is a business superstar, and I'm very pleased to welcome Jeffrey to the program. Hi, Jeff. Welcome to the Bob. Hey, it's good, and... Well, thank you so much. And, and cutting through the bullshit, that's good because, you know, I'm a cowboy and I've got a lot of cattle in my place with a lot of that stuff, so I'm used to stepping in it, so I try to stay out of it. <laughs> yeah, I think when you're in business, you're used to treading in it, aren't you? You're, you're totally surrounded <laughs> by it most of the time. Exactly, exactly. Now, on this program, we regularly talking, talk about remembering the basics. Um, they're the pillars of not only the marketing business, but of business itself. What do you think are the three most important basics that most of us forget? Well, I think it's always about growing your sales, growing your profit, and growing your customer satisfaction. I, you know, when I was the chief marketing officer at a Fortune 100 company, those were three of my five goals that I had to keep. And I think whether you're running a, you know, billions and billions of dollars worth of revenue and billions of dollars worth of profit, and you take those zeros away, you could be doing the same thing on Main Street, you know, in your small town. It doesn't make a difference. I mean, for most of us, that's the, those are the things we should be paying attention to. And if you're taking good care of your customers, then you're growing your sales and you're growing your profits. That's, that's really at the forefront of everything. Yeah, I think, um, you know, people are always analyzing why companies fail. And the real reason companies fail is they don't generate enough revenue to pay their bills. Exactly. Yeah, well, they, they're losing money in every sale, but hope to make it up in volume. You know, that's yeah. a scary thing. You know? I was a marketing director for a um, a billion a billionaire who was involved in a number of different industries, and he used to make us at the end of a day, seven o'clock at night or whatever time the day ended, make a list of all the things you did today that actually made a dollar for the company. And you sit there and look at what you've done today and you'd say, shit, I've been busy. I've worked my butt off since 7 o'clock this morning, you know, and I haven't stopped. I didn't take a lunch break. What did I actually do that made a dollar for the company? Um, let me see. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's awesome. I mean, I do that with our team. We, we try to sit down on a weekly basis. What are the five promises that I've got to drive for the week, you know, and what activities lead to those promises. And if that's not on the list, 
then why are you doing all these other things? Yeah. And it's just really, you know, I, I call it conditions of satisfaction. How to drive what I call mutual conditions of satisfaction with a, with employees, with your vendors, with your customers, or even your spouse, for that yeah. matter. True. Uh, we always have a customer performer relationship, and and so what are the key conditions of satisfaction that you should be driving? And that's what you know. That's where your focus. So if you had to look at one word, that's important for a lot of business owners or leaders out there. The word would be focus, and and trying to keep that focus because you know how many times you get just you know people coming in with this or that, and people always bring me problems. You know, I want people to to, to bring me some focus on the solutions, not the problems. Yeah, true. Um, you talk about. At Metal, you talked about your experience with Kodak um, regarding the introduction of digital photography and uh, that Kodak had a seemingly unshakable belief that they were actually in the film business. Um, You're a strong advocate for the need to have the balls to sort of constantly enact change to make the hard calls. Um, Why was Kodak so slow to move? Well, I mean, they really did get into the hubris of their own success and that success was driven around, you know, that they were a film company. And somehow, from the time in which George Eastman, you know, introduced them into, you know, photography and what they were really doing, which was, you know, creating Kodak moments. And that's really what they were doing. They were capturing emotional technology. They were capturing the moment. That's the reason why Kodak moment was so important. In fact, my predecessors had let the actual trademark on Kodak moments expire before I got there. And and so they got away, you know, forgetting what they did. They had the only product that people would actually run back into a burning building to save. Yeah. And so when you really look at it, they weren't around the film business. They were on the emotional technology business. And they and quite frankly, they transitioned to mostly a B two B company, which most people don't know. Yeah. Um, we still think of them as a as a you know as a, a consumer company, but they're really a B two B company. And had they given up the consumer business, they would be in much better shape today. But, but at the core of what they did was they helped to make, manage, and move images and information. You know what I call the M3I squared, and that's that's make, manage, move images and information. So they were about capturing emotional technology, whether yeah. it's in the business or in the personal lives, and then utilizing that. And that's what they did. Yeah. So they just lost track of of how technology was changing the industry. Right, and, and had they realized, hey, look, we're a company of innovation that, you know, it's so cold in Rochester, we've got nothing better to do but sit inside and invent things. And they invent, you know, had over 25,000 patents at one time, one of the fifth largest companies in the world with patents. You know, that's what they were in. They were in the innovation business. But yet they, they went this hubris of their success in film of having a product that, you know, generated 80, 90% margins of profit yeah. at, you know, at a time and they had market cap better than all of the, you know, automobile industry combined, you know, and, and 200,000 employees at one time. I mean, it was a massive company. So, but they got channeled around that rather than what they really do. And had they, you know, had they thought about, look, our business is to change every day, not to lock it in. So what happens with a lot of companies like Kodak and others that aren't successful is they focus in on being defensive. And so they start doing everything to protect that margin rather than to reinvent themselves or to change to what they do so that they can continually reinvent. You know, And there's companies like Apple. Apple was that way. IBM was that way. Yeah. And where they started off great, then went down a hole of trying to protect and then said, no, no, no. We're in the business of changing, and let's start changing what we do. Yeah, of course it is hard to do. Now, 
I think oh, one of the most very hard. If it was e- you know, if it was easy, everybody would do it. That's I mean, right. that's the thing. <laughs> that's true. It, it is hard. Yeah, but but perfection and good things are are I mean, all good things come with a price. I mean, that's just the way it is. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think one of the most important things that you espouse is hook me in eight seconds, sell me in a hundred and ten seconds, make it really easy for the other person to say yes. Now, in eight seconds, you can probably only get across one point. So how do you determine what that one point is? And then following on with that, is the cell, the 110-second cell, simply an amplification of the eight seconds, or do you expand the message in that time? Well, you you do expand. So what we're talking about is what I call the 118 or the new elevator pitch, the modern-day version, the digital version. Eight seconds is the average attention span of an adult, you know. Yeah. I know that to be true. I looked it up on the Internet. And 110 seconds is the average elevator ride in New York City. Yeah. And the time you, st- you know, push the button, wait for it to open, step on, right up, right down. So yeah. the eight seconds is what you need is that hook. If you want to use the vernacular of sales terms, you, you need a hook. Or you, you know you've done this, Bob. When, when you've said something so provocative that the person leans in once you hear the rest of it. Yeah. And so that's what you you need to grab the prospect's attention with. Uh, some statement or something that they, they that, that says, "Wow, you paid attention to me. You have something I want," and you tease them with it, and in such a way that they want to lean in and hear the rest of it. Yeah. And then that 110 seconds, yeah, you should give them the value statement of of giving them the attention that they deserve around the way in which you can deliver value to them. And by doing that, that demonstrates a, a you know a wonderful relationship between the two of you. That's going to you know, give something in return for getting something. And so that's that's what you want to do. So, yeah, yeah you should amplify that story a little bit. It's, it's, it's damned hard to put get something in eight seconds. I, I um, work with a lot of it's always uh, hard. startups and early-stage businesses who are out there trying to raise money and trying to pitch investors and try to get across your message in, in one sentence or whatever is difficult. How, how do you go about condensing your business down to... Eight seconds. Well, you, you're gonna, it, by the way, you'll never get there. You'll yeah, continually true. change it. You <laughs> continually work on it. Yeah. But but you just really got to get to the core. Look, you know, you know. So I used to have people come to me with 48 page PowerPoint presentations. At the end of the hour, I still didn't know what they did, and yeah. so that's where I got down to it. And I used to call it the Moses rule. You know, if Moses can get it down to 10 points on two slides, you know, basically. Yeah. Uh, as he did with the Ten Commandments today, there'll be two PowerPoint templates of five points each. You know, so you can boil it down to that. And if you, you know, if he can do it, you can do it. So what is it is at the core of what you solve? You know, I used to tell people that and I used to enact the Moses rule with, with my team that if you had to come to me and sell me something, do it in two slides. If it takes more than two slides, then you haven't boiled down the problem. Yeah. And so, and, and that's in essence what you have to do. So you really just got to get down to the essence. You know, Bob, so many businesses make a huge mistake of, of telling us what you do, but I could take your name out and put somebody else's in. Yeah, sure. And, th- and there's That's no true. differentiation. So talk to me about the differentiation. Yeah. What makes you so much more special? They say, well, we're just like Walmart. Well, why don't I just go to Walmart? You know? yeah. um, That's not a differentiation. So, so talk to me about what's different and what value you can give to me that's different than your competitor or in a way that you do it special for me. That's what I want to know. Another quote that I love, and I know from experience, that um, the mob is much better at customer relations than big business. When I read Running the Gauntlet, you say, 
casinos know their money isn't in the bets. It's in the one-on-one relationships. And I always equate, wrongly, but I always equate casinos with the mob. So that's how I, that's how I made that correlation. Um, well, it's, a lot, it's changed a lot over the years. Yeah, get out there. There's some very big corporations running those casinos these days. Um, so we all talk about the importance of customer relations and customer service. You hear it every day. Why are we so bad at it? I, I don't know. I don't. I, there, there are some companies that aren't very good at it. I just think that that's where we should start our experience, not end our experience. Yeah. And so I think what we need to do is reverse the process a little bit and think about what's the experience that we want the customer to have, and that's what good marketers do. Yeah. You know, they look at everything from the you know the the idea of the project all the way through you know, customer satisfaction. So I typically want to start at customer satisfaction and say, what's the end result we want to drive? And then work it back. And if we did more of that, then you would have a greater relationship with that customer because it would get to the core of the value and what values you want to drive. True. You spent a lot of time on your ranch in South Dakota, and you you talked about it in your your presentation to Metal quite a bit. So that probably accounts for your great quote, just because you killed a cow, it doesn't mean you will eat steak for dinner. There's a lot of tough, unpleasant stuff to get through before you get the result you want. So are you saying that most people that I know aren't tough by nature? You know, their, their first tendency is to want to compromise or negotiate. So are you saying that um, to be successful, you need to be tough, strong and brutal? Is that what you're saying? No, not necessarily. What I'm saying is that sometimes it's going to be a messy process, and you've got to be willing to do the hard work. Yeah. And not everybody wants to do the hard work. They like the, they like the end result. They like the stake. Yeah. But, and if you remember in the book, I describe in detail what it's like to chop up that cow. Yeah, I know. And, and to gut it out and skin it out. And, and I did it on purpose was not to be gory, but to, to describe that it's a messy, messy process. And to get that stake to the table requires a lot of messy work that a lot of people aren't willing to do. Yeah, and, it almost made and, me a and vegetarian. That's really what it's about. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, and so what I want business owners to do is, you know, it's, it's naive sometimes to think that, you know, this is easier doing it this way or doing it this way. Almost anything that you do that's worth, the, worth it is really tough to do. Yeah. And so you should be realistic about what's expected or what you're going to be expected to do to get it there. And to really take the time to do the planning and the thought process and make the commitment to get it done right. You talk about the rule of thirds that um, you believe applies in almost all situations. One third of people get it immediately. One third of people get it eventually. And one third just will never get it. So I've had a saying for years and years and years that you also use. It's easier to change people than it is to change people. Now... Following on from that, should the one-third that will never get it just be axed, just thrown out in their ass? <laughs> well, I think so. I, I think you get rid of the <laughs> one-third as fast as you possibly can. I mean, just because of the, of the nature of they just don't get it. So, you know, the one-third that do get it, that's where we should be spending our time. But we spend a lot of our time focusing on the bottom third yeah, and, um, you know, making sure that they're, that we bring those people along or that they're happy, and I and I just go, why, why? They'll never get it. 
Yeah. And if if you're focusing your business or your growth or your training or your attention on the least common denominator, then that's going to drag your business down. And that's not where I choose to be. And so, yeah, no, I, you know, yeah, and, I, and I have this all the time. I'm, I just had it today with someone who's unhappy with stuff. I said, well, they're just never going to get it. Why are we, I got to be, you know, ready to understand that I'm not going to receive the revenue that I would have liked because I just can't get in there. I got to be happy with that. Yeah. And so, you know, and just, you know, get your minds around that you just can't please them all. And some people, are, but we we try to. And whenever I've done that, it's just been a pain in the rear end for me. Yeah. And, you know, we all, um, we spend too much time trying to bring the lowest common denominator up to the middle instead of trying to help the, um, um, the successful, yeah. the good guys yeah. succeed more. Yeah. Exactly um, right. And so I'm at that point in my life where I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, the past few years have been pretty tough for many businesses, and it seems the first thing that companies do, and I've never been able to quite work out why, is cut their marketing budget, and they stop taking care of their major assets, which are their people. And it, does this cause damage in the long term or just in the short term? Well, it can. I think it's more short term than long term. It can, but the key is, you know, when can you get to the point where you can turn that back on again? Or... Can you at least keep some of it on? I mean, the time, you know, and they, they used to have an old saying, Bob, and the, the marketing advertise business in good times advertise and bad times advertise more. They, yeah. You know, and I think that's there's some real truth to that. And oh, I so, agree, but why don't they do it? Yeah. Well, because I think most people are, are hesitant to make the changes they've got to make. It's easier for you to cut your advertising budget than cut people. It's, it's easier for you to cut out the training than to cut people or, yeah. which, which, which by and large, and you know, in this and most business is your biggest cost. Sure. You know, it is usually in people. Sometimes it's in equipment, but it's really in the people, uh, that run that equipment, that run the services that, that do the products that you've got to be able to sell. So I think a lot of people are afraid to make the hard choices and, and uh, that's just something you've got to do as a business owner, and it's not and it's not easy. You know, look, I've been there. I know what it's like. I know it's not easy to have to make those changes and, and uh, you know, and to let people go and do that. But you, you've got to do the right things for the business, and, and one of that should be in investing into your future. Yeah, is it that, that there's another side to that, of course, isn't there, that um, cutting people can be terribly bad public relations to your uh, customer base as a whole? Yeah, but it depends on what you're in. I mean, if you're in a in a B two B business, then you, if you're out ahead yeah. of it, you can explain to them. Business owners understand it; they get it. Um, you know, as long as they feel they're being taken care of, they they understand that. But we're again, we're we're usually living a story that we're we're afraid of that and afraid to talk about that. So. Sure. Now, in your presentation to Metal, um, it came through loud and clear that you believe that the only person that counts in the business equation is the customer. You should always put yourself in the customer's shoes. So who leads innovation? Does the customer lead it by you listening to what they think they're going to need in the future, or does the company lead it? It's everybody. I mean, it's, it's absolutely everybody. It's got to be a mindset of the company and a mood. And obviously your customer is going to tell you if you're right or will give you ideas. Well, who cares where they come from? It's just a matter of can you implement them, can you use them, can you take it? Yeah. You know, it used to be a top-down driven system where we would say based on our assets, based on our budgets, based on what we want to go, this is the way we do it. And now it's it's a very much a chaotic, chaos kind of uh, based system. 
and social media is helping to drive a lot of that, where you're, you know, you're hearing uh, suggestions on products from a tweet or from Facebook or from other, from an email or a blog post. And now, do you have the kind of company that's going to allow that to come in from the outside as opposed to from the inside? I would much rather have a company where I don't care where the ideas come if they're good. Let's just use them. Yeah, I and, agree. And, and and how do you change it? But but it, again, it's about a mood set and a mindset inside the company that this is how we're going to do it. Right. So in today's company, who's more important? The inspirational, charismatic leader with strong skill sets, a la a Steve Jobs, or the team that he has around him. Well, you can't do one without the other sometimes. So I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, you have to have a yin and you have to have a yang in order to be able to get, get things done. I mean, I'm only as good as my people that are around me, so I want to make sure I have the best possible team around me and that each one of us knows the things that we do best. Um, you know, there are some things I'm terrible at. Yeah. And there are things that I'm, quite frankly, I'm brilliant at. And so I try to focus my attention more on the brilliance things and to find great people who can fill the things that I'm not as good at. And, and if you can find that, that magic mix, then you've got, you've got magic. And it, it's, just, it's just it's wonderful to watch. We all found you to be a brilliant speaker. I mean, the guys that um, go to metal, as you know, are all highly successful. They've seen and done everything, and you kill them. Um, well, so, so you've obviously got, well, you have got, great charisma and people sort of hang on every word so if you've got a team around you um how much influence do you think on you have on lifting their skills and abilities not so much just their motivation but um teaching them and leading them and how much difference does that make to the performance of a company Oh, big time. I mean, you, and you have to have a system for doing that too, right? Yeah. So you have to let them fail. You have to let them succeed. You have to let them do, you know, to give them the rope to, to see it. But you also have to have it set up to allow it to do it. And, and you know, it's like sometimes I say to them, they'll come to me and say, well, what do you think? I said, well, if you have to keep asking me, what do I need you for? You know? Right. Not, not, not that I'm trying to be hard on them, but I'm trying to let them know that I've given you everything you can do here Anything you want, I'm not holding the budgets back. I'm letting you spend basically anything you want within reason. You know, just go do it. You know, and you know, if someone comes to me and says, "Well, we don't have the budget," I say, well, "What do you mean we don't have the budget? Do we do we put a restriction on you, or is that in your head?" You know, when I ask you to go do this or X, Y, Z, and you come back to me with half that, you, you go, well, "Well, we think that's too expensive." Well, I didn't ask you that. I asked you to go deliver X, Y, and Z. So go get it done. Yeah. You know, so you, you just need to be able to set, again, those conditions of satisfaction and work with the team, and hopefully you pick the right team that has the right mood and mindset that wants to do the same things you want to do, you know, hopefully faster than even you want to get them done. That's good. Good wish list. <laughs> yeah, and it's tough. I mean, it, I mean, it's always tough when it comes to people. It's probably the most difficult thing in business, you know, in business, they you know, it'd be a lot of fun to be in business if it weren't for employees and customers. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's that, true. You know, as a business owner, you, you know what I'm what I'm saying. But but at the same time, that's also the great um, you know benefits of being in business because of the of your customers and your employees. And that's so, it, to be able to get the right team and put that together is is a difficult thing. 
to find the right mix. And, and sometimes, especially for entrepreneurial businesses, you start off as a one-man band, then you add devout followers, and then eventually you've got to move to skilled technicians and professionals. And, and it's tough for businesses to be able to make those transitions. Sure. Jeffrey, it's been great speaking with you. I really appreciate you taking time out of your um, hectic schedule. You have a phenomenal... You know, I thought I had a busy schedule, but <laughs> blimey. Um, now, if you'd like to know more about Jeff, go to his website. It's hazlet.com. Hazlet.com. Don't forget, if you're in business, you need to go out and get a copy of the Mirror Test seriously. And Running the Gauntlet is a great book that's got a lot of, lot of new attitudes to old issues and things that we know, but he looks at them in a, in a different perspective. And if you get the opportunity to go along and see this guy speak, he is fantastic. And uh, I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show after this short break. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible bob pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight talking troubleshooter for fortune 500 companies and smes across the world whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the segment that's called Make Your Pitch. And we give entrepreneurs the opportunity to tell you, our listeners, about their project and solicit your help to help them bring it to fruition. My guest today is Wolfgang von Loper, who is CEO founder of My Smart Farm. Now, Wolfgang studied business administration at one of Germany's top business schools, during which he won the German Business Cup, and his last startup was building up a highly successful biodynamic wine brand. So, Wolfgang's a pretty smart guy. Hi, Wolfgang. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Uh, I, believe, I believe that you've found a way to address the complete life cycle of agriculture, giving it a complete, a total technological makeover. What have you done? How have you done this? Well, yes, Bob. 
Um, thanks for having me on your show first. Please. Basically, weather models, precision sensors, and geospatial technology, and the science to utilize these complex sets of data, together with cloud computing and mobile services, have the ability not only to secure the supply and in near future also actually sustainable energy, but also to increase profits. But the development of these services in the last decade if anything, have made a farmer's life more difficult than actually easy. And subsequently, um, less than 1% of farmers use precision software, which to me is like a failure to the software industry, really. But the message is loud and clear. There is a vast open market. So what is it, a, a, a prediction of what? What, what, what do you actually predict if i if i read a printout of whatever you do what do i actually get to see well Bob, what you basically get is um advice from one side and the other thing is also um the information presentation um what we basically plan to do with my smartphone is um actually accessing this tremendous amount of opportunity by solving that problem which i just mentioned in consolidating these high-tech services on one platform. Um, and then we deliberate to mine the agricultural data, and this then really becomes the windows, a window for farmers. Um, it is designed to empower them with valuable, cost-effective, and scientific real-time advice. Um, and very recent technology allows farmers to solve, or us, to solve long-standing issues um, and to save him time and to connect him to science, which is a very important one, and really in the end is also cheap. So is anybody else taking this uh, this sort of technology approach to agriculture? Um, yeah, our Go Green approach, we like to call it, is actually a first ever really because um, it's, it's unique, it uniquely combines these different sources of data and digests for a farmer. Um, by applying methods developed together with research institutions and scientists, um, the rest is secret, but it has also been impossible to create such a solution um, in the past as both required back-end and front technology did not exist until now. Um, developments such as MemSQL um, make it now actually only possible. Um, and now the farmer can access real-time data and live advice with his smartphones and tablet apps all in a sort of one-stop all solution. Um, in the end, with the use of our system, making him farm even more sustainably. So it's it's simple enough for your... How, how technolo- This sounds like a, a silly question, but I've never lived on a farm. How technologically um, savvy are farmers, the average farmer? Well, Bob, it's a question I get very often. Um, now that only really 1% use soft, precision software, many say, well, are they, you know, be inclined not to use it? And um, the answer really is no. And the statistics in here in South Africa and in the UK and the US actually show exactly the same. The um, farmers are next to the business people, the second business, uh, the second biggest group to adopt smartphones. And um, on top of that, farmers use social media very much. Um, 
Yeah, I suppose even more than business people and many other groups do. Um, probably also because they live, live out in the country and they want to feel connected. But basically, farmers are really waiting for technology to get ready for them. And smartphones have done that for one. So, yes, farmers are really, um, to my liking, interested in, in, in using technology. Great. Now, your startup South African based, and I'm speaking to you in South Africa now, it, it sounds like it would be great development for a country continent like Africa, for example. It, it sort of levels the playing field, doesn't it? Yes. Um, well, Africa is... Is, as such is at the moment an investment hotspot and uh, much as uh, Africa is you know as a risk has become sort of a little bit less because there's now quite a few stable democracies yeah. um, and yeah, Europe and the US with last recent years of um, economic turmoil sort of have found that you know Africa is not that much more risky than in the western world um, but really, South Africa is the gateway to um, to a continent that sees currently sees high levels of growth, um, especially in countries that have proven to be these stable democracies and uh, countries that have good policies in place. And for us here in Cape Town, um, it is something or we see Cape Town as something like the Silicon Valley of for Africa. Um, we call it the Silicon Cape. Um, I'm sure our product will dominate the African continent as it has a huge potential to introduce science to um, sustenance farmers and small farmers and um, media networking and all of that is, is, is massively growing in Africa currently and our product is intended to be, but um, not only that, not only targeting actually Africa with our software, we're actually really trying to get uh, the, the, the product out into the international um, market. Do you have any support yet from governments or universities or people that um, that um, are respected in this area? Um, yes, uh, we we actually do have great support from from top scientists, universities. Um, they're all playing along. They're all bringing their sort of science to, to the table because they really want to see their science actually penetrating out through to the, or to the farmer through a convenient, clever channel, um, which doesn't happen at this stage. Farmers don't have a cooking clue what's, what's happening on university level, and we are sort of the, the pipeline for, for that. Um, but we also get support from banks and um, other agricultural consultants who are actually future clients of our product that want to use it then for their, for their farming clients. Um, and we recently gained confidence in our project with um, with business partners signing contracts. Business partners basically being the service providers. Right. And um, we are currently conducting a market research, which will also outline um, which modules we should be focusing on. And um, while we're developing our minimum viable product, and um, from there we will also be able to plan a better market entry strategy. Um, yeah, we are, from a governmental perspective, we are busy raising actually grants um, for funding of the development of the software itself um, in the next few months and um, then hope to be ready for a beta release by the beginning of the next growing season. Um, with this beta version, we'll test the market, assess the required upgrades and basically eliminate the bugs and then hope to have a full final um, first version fortifier later from, from that. Okay, so Wolfgang... We've got listeners all over the planet. I think the last 
um, survey. We had listeners in about 50-odd countries. So what are you looking for? How can our listeners, our listeners are sitting out there saying, wow, um, bringing um, agriculture and farming into the uh, 21st century sounds like a great idea. We need to improve the increased productivity of food um, and we need to do it as cheaply as possible. So it sounds like a fantastic idea. What can our listeners do? Um, well, we are basically looking for um, strategic investors um, uh, interested in engineering growth with us and um, a realization of our project. Um, ones that can really keep us from, from falls. Um, we've got a huge exit potential to strategic buyer at a later stage, and we cover two large sectors, that of the information communication technology and that the agriculture sector. Um, yeah. Our project, I think, is also appealing because we are tapping into a, um, into a really untapped market. Um, we continuously mine agricultural data in a Google-style method, um, and we do it all sort of on a, on a, on a go green approach. Um, so it's, you know, we've got, um, we've got, you know, some, some, some really interesting aspects for, for, for investors, I think. Um, and yeah, so investors is what we are really looking for at this moment. How much money are you looking for altogether? Yeah. I mean, how much money are you looking for? Um, Bob, I'd really like to dilute um, up to 30% equity and preferably then between local South African um, and an international, preferably US partner. So right. basically two. Um, and we've got a pre-money valuation of, of $900,000 and we sell 10% equity at $160,000. Right. Okay. So that's so you um you're looking for a million dollars roundabout, and um, that's great. And you're and you're looking for partners who can contribute to the development and growth of the business. You're not you're not just looking for money for the sake of money. Um, no, we're not really looking for money for the sake of money. Basically, because we've got um, the government grants um, subsidising and paying for the development of the software. And then I've got a little bit of my own sort of funding in and sweat sweat equity. Um, the the dilution of the thirty percent or or the three times ten percent at each hundred and sixty thousand dollars would um, would be there to secure the business and have um, the chance to to spend some money onto in in a, in a market to go on a go to market strategy. Um, but really, we, we're looking mostly not for the cash at this stage because we're now in the development. Um, we're looking for business acumen um, so that we can really grow and engineer the, 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 the realization of, of our project um, as quickly and as, as clever as possible. And having, you know, avid business guys on board is, is, is just a good thing to have for me. I understand. Terrific. So, Wolfgang, great speaking with you today on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, if you'd like to listen, if you'd like to know more about this exciting program and you think you can contribute, you can contact Wolfgang on mysmartfarm.com. 
dot info. That's mysmartfarm.info. Or you can drop me an email here at bob at bobpritchard.com and I will forward it on. Remember, this show is all about helping you, the entrepreneur. So we hope you keep listening and tell all your friends about the show. And we'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking No Bullshit Business Radio Show. And we're coming to you from Los Angeles. Uh, This is a segment of the show where we bring you emails from our listeners all around the world. It's incredible that despite... The different cultures, all of the emails are pretty much applicable and have relevance to small businesses everywhere. My first email, I've got very little time today, but my first email comes from Margaret Simmons from Phoenix in Arizona. Margaret writes, Dear Bob, thank you for a really excellent show. I understand that Voice America is located in Phoenix. Do you have any plans to do workshops for small businesses here? I think most small businesses in Phoenix are struggling and you would get a great turn up for it. There was an article in the local newspaper, the Arizona Republic, which listed the main causes of business failure and one of the points listed was cash flow. Surely if you're generating more money than you're spending, then cash flow is not an issue. Is it? Margaret, I may not have time to get right the way through your question, but I will at least address the first part. Voice America is in Phoenix. You are totally correct. Secondly, I will look at the feasibility of running a small business seminar in Phoenix in the second half of this year. We could probably get a couple of Phoenix-based businesses to sponsor it, and Voice America and the Arizona Republic might also get behind it. Margaret, no promises, but I will see what I can do and I will um, keep you up up to date on my progress. I will also answer the um, second part of your email definitely, I promise you, next week. Now, if you're a regular listener to the show and are benefiting from the advice that my guests and I give you each week, tell your friends to listen. Go to my website, bobatbobpritchard.com. Subscribe to my monthly newsletter, which is out, and uh, it's a good one this month, and the response is good. Thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show for entrepreneurs. And remember, if you're serious about being successful, this is the place to come every week at the same time. This is Bob Pritchard. I hope you have a fantastic week. Make some money and kick some butt. Have some fun. See you next week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.